You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you get your podcasts. Progressive presents today's to-do list for your cat. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Get food. Walk away from food. Move to couch. See human. Give cold shoulder. Take a nap. Meow till I get Your food. Your pet has get a very busy schedule, so it's up to you to make sure they're protected. That's why Progressive Car Insurance covers your pets for up to $1,000 if they're ever in a car accident with you. Move to couch. Aggressively clean myself. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Get coverage get- for your pets with anti-auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with the purchase of collision coverage and subject to policy terms. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante. The New York Yankees are bringing back Aaron Boone. It's the Boone cast. Not one year, not two years, maybe not even three years because there's a fourth year option. Let's talk through it all. Can the Yankees win a World Series with Aaron Boone? I think they can. Should they have to? I don't think they should have to, but that's the world we live in. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question. We'll be more than happy to answer it. Thomas Carinante, thanks for calling me up. I almost missed the call because I was hanging out with home plate umpire Laz Diaz from Red Sox Astros. Is that a good topical joke? I'd like to have a beer with that guy to see what he was thinking. Fun, fun uh, night for him. That's, we'll touch on it for five seconds. Uh, here's the end of the, here's the literal end of the discussion. Bad strike zone all day, bad umpire. The Nathan Avaldi missed call was kind of bad, not that bad. There were worse calls in the game. And if a game hinges on an umpire missing a strike call that he's missed all game long and he misses it again in the ninth inning, then perhaps something should have been done with runners in scoring position to change that. The Boston Red Sox are going to score 13 runs at home in game five. Anyway, glad <laughs> this series is going back to Houston. We don't need a Jeff Passon column on the last Diaz missed call. 
Back no, to you. We don't. Yeah, I look at the. We'll take the Red Sox out of the school. Look at the Dodgers game yesterday. Dodgers fans whining and crying that uh, the ump missed that strike. Uh, Walker Buehler, Be- honestly, one of the most beautiful pitches I've seen. Walker Buehler paints has a better pitch than the Evaldi. Yeah, thing, oh yeah. my god, well, way better. Paints the lower inside corner of the plate. O two on Jock Peterson. It's a strike. It's clear the the entire ball is in the zone when you look at the stat cast. A portion of Evaldi's ball was in the zone on on the stat cast of uh, his pitch, then uh, Dodgers fans are blaming the ump for the four run inning that resulted after that. And it's like, dude, you had, you had Charlie Morton on the ropes in the first inning. You could have gotten him out of the game. You had the, you hit a two run homer and then had the bases loaded and didn't cash in. Then you went over like six with runners in scoring positions. Like one missed strike does not determine the entire outcome of a game. It certainly doesn't help. I understand the Red Sox situation was a little bit different in the ninth inning. Um, but like also just like get out the hitter. That's not that good. You could do it. You're you're a very good pitcher, Nathan Eovaldi. Um, to be perfectly fair to the Red Sox, they also got screwed by the little known MLB rule that says if you give up the tie breaking run in the ninth, you have to bring in Martin Perez immediately. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. I it's in the rule book and it shouldn't be. It's like the the execution of that ball when uh, they when rent throw kicked into the bullpen. It's like it's in the rule book. Should it be there? You know, is it a vestige of an earlier era? Like the Martin Perez rule has been around since the 1920s. Like, should we get it out of the rule book? <laughs> Probably, but it is still in there. So I guess you got to call it. Uh, I uh, look, I think, I think Alex Cora has really done a great job this postseason. But yes, um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not criticizing him. I'm not, I'm not calling out Red Sox fans. The Red Sox have been unbelievable what we watched so far. But I think he's slowly creeping into like Dave Roberts territory with how the fans don't like his pitching management. Like Chris Sale starting game five, but he's also available tonight. Anthony Evaldi was maybe available last night. Didn't really, did you really need to use him? I I don't know. I I really don't know. So uh, I love the all hands on deck uh, philosophy. You got to have that approach in the postseason. Um, I just don't know if, I don't don't know if that was the move. Speaking of not having the hands on deck though, the man who doesn't know what hands he has will be returning to the New York Yankees. Mm. For three years with an option for a fourth. Things we learned from the Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone press availability. Also, kudos to Reddit for leaking this one the night before, meaning that I woke up calm and rested and ready for the 8.45 a.m. Jack Curry tweet saying Boone was returning. Uh, when Reddit gets one right, they get one right. Sometimes the usernames that break the news are laughable, but when they get it, they get it, and they had it. And so Aaron Boone is back for, for three years with, in fact, an additional option. Um, are they going to be picking up that option? So a couple things right off the bat. Um, three-year contract is jarring because I expected two because you can't hire a lame duck manager for one year only. Brian Cashman, weirdly, is a lame duck GM right now. He's only got one year, but this clearly is a partnership. I don't think anything short of a catastrophic 2022 will leave Cashman gone and looking for new work. That being said... Three years is not a guarantee. Managers do not make as much money as players. If 2022 goes completely off the rails, they whiff on every shortstop. They sign Andrelton Simmons. They move Glaber to short in the middle of the season. Gio Rochelle is playing short. They forget to get contact bats. They don't fill the Rizzo hole. LeMayhew's bad again. If this season falls off the rails completely, Boone and Cashman could both be gone after 2022. It's a commitment and an endorsement of Boone right now. But Mm -hmm. if the season is a disaster, 
You do not have to keep a manager for three years. The manager and GM certainly go together. If there's momentum for not renewing Cashman's contract for whatever reason after this year, Boone will be let go with two years left on his deal. That is the proclamation from me. I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, no, That's I, the other I, thing Yankee fans yeah. need to know. I don't want Aaron Boone to be fired at the end of this year. That means the team is a disaster. Yeah, I think uh, I think we everyone overreacted with the length of the contract just because we were mostly expecting one year with an option or two I didn't years expect tops. Um, I didn't expect the same contract he got signing on four years ago. A uh, little insane, but you look. It, it's not. It's they're not. They're not bound to it. it, it they could. It, anything can happen. And Cashman is signed through next year. Who knows? Who knows what ha- if Cashman's gone and a new GM comes in. We see it happen all the time. Other GMs go and they're I'm great. Yeah. If I'm coming on board with your team, I'm not keeping the manager that the last GM had in place. Maybe I will. If I talk to him and it's a good conversation, but I really doubt whatever conversation Aaron Boone's having with another GM, they're going to be like, mm-hmm. no, we're not doing this. Um, I like Aaron Boone as a guy. I do. But like you look at the press conference yesterday, it's more of the same bullshit with these people. It's like no answers for anything. Every other sentence starts with a, you know, no, I actually don't know. I'm actually here listening to you because I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So I, I in fact, do not know anything. And I would appreciate if you didn't keep telling me that I do know. Brian Cashman t- telling us that we had, how dare we question how much Hal Steinbrenner is spending on this team. That was important. Very important. Like, I, I just I don't get I don't entirely get it. He endorses Gary Sanchez's defense. There's so many things wrong with the press conference, but nonetheless, Boone's back. We got to live with it. You got to be positive somewhat about it because this is going to be life, at least for the next year. Whether you like it or not, there's going to be some sort of semblance of running this entire operation back in 2022 with a few changes. And eh, there might be big changes coming. I don't really know. Uh, shortstop still still seems like a, a little bit of a mystery to me. Now I'm concerned about Corey Seager based on what I'm watching this postseason. I know he's hitting home mm-hmm. runs, but like he, I, I don't know what he's doing in the field. And we already had that. We already had a guy who could hit home runs and was bad in the field. Oh, wait, nope. Glaber Torres stopped hitting home runs. So I guess we could yeah. use that. Um, yeah, that might be nice. Yeah. So uh, on Boone, um, am I thrilled? No, I'm not thrilled. We just we watched this play out for four years. It was less than inspiring. But then again, then again, you look at 2020. I understand other teams took advantage of the situation and were able to overcome the obstacles. The Yankees could not. You look at the roster construction. It was problematic based on whatever Brian Cashman and 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 his assistants were, were trying to fulfill with their philosophy. I know Cash. I, I know Boone had the best roster that he possibly will ever have as manager of the Yankees. It, it's quite possible. However, the 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 characteristics of the guys acquired at the trade deadline, Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo, were not entirely what the Yankees needed. I think the Yankees could have gotten by with Luke Boyd at first base. I think they could have went out and gotten someone like Jock Peterson, who we talked about in the in the off season. Hey, maybe you sign like Jock Peterson as a fourth outfielder, and he's a clutch lefty bat for you, which you just don't have. Or you go out and you maybe get Starling Marte at the trade deadline, someone who could play a multiple outfield position, steal base, and is a contact-heavy bat. The Yankees got no characteristics aside, uh, characteristics for what they needed at the trade deadline, aside from good defense at first base. Um, and it came back to bite them because Joey Gallo did nothing. They didn't need another home run hitter. They didn't need someone who couldn't play left field. And that's that's what they went after. So, I think a part of the uh, a good portion of the indictment 
is on the front office for what they've done. However, it is alarming. A lot of things can be true here, guys, but it is alarming that Aaron Boone was not able was able to do less with a lot more. And, and that that is concerning to me. That's why everybody's a little bit up in arms about him coming back and then him coming back for potentially three years. You're staring down that barrel through 2025 and you're like, oh, my God, like, is this team not going to win a World Series until 2030? Like, what's going mm-hmm. on? Um, so I understand it. But there's a lot of problems here. Was Boone a problem? Yeah, part of the problem for sure. But maybe he's not part of the problem. Should the team actually make the moves that they they should be making part of the problem. Hal Steinbrenner imposing a financial restriction when it's the, it's the team that makes the highest revenue in the entire league. So don't you ever dare question that. Don't even dare doing that at all. Uh, Yeah. I, 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 and that, that insults. That's another thing. Uh, The Yankees will tell you that you're seeing something that you're not. I can't question Hal Steinbrenner. I know what the Yankees revenue is. It's public information. I know what the Yankees payroll is. That's also public information. I know that they haven't had the highest payroll in the league since 2013. That's nine years ago. And this is the richest organization in the sport. Say what you want about the Dodgers. They print money. They do this. They are not the highest valued franchise in the sport. The New York Yankees are. The New York Yankees are a global enterprise. They have more than enough money to do whatever they want. So I can question when, you know, I go to two ALCS games and spend, you know, $400 accumulatively on everything. And then I watched the Houston Astros beat the shit out of us in those two games. So yeah, I'm, I'm very much willing. I, I feel like I have the right to question why we're avoiding a, like a $7 million luxury tax penalty when the organization rakes in $700 million a year. That's, that's well, all just, I'm asking. Yeah. Do you want to win organically because it feels good according to the universe or whatever to see your guys quote unquote hoist the trophy or whatnot? Sure. But during the 90s, when the Yankees were accused of buying championships, they had Derek Jeter homegrown, Bernie Williams homegrown, Jorge Posada homegrown, Andy Pettit homegrown, Mariano Rivera homegrown, and they supplemented that core with free agents. That is what they did. That's what they did. That's how you win baseball games. So as much like, I don't really know what's more homegrown than that. What, what even is that? The Red Sox have Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts, and then they went out and purchased Hunter Renfro, J.D. Martinez, Nathan Evaldi post-trade, Kike Hernandez, Alex Verdugo, uh, they didn't want to pay for and they traded him, but he's certainly not homegrown. That's what uh, winning a championship is. All rosters are a couple of homegrown guys who are good plus additional money people. So if you have some idealistic vision where the Yankees don't spend money or you think we spend a lot of money, but we could be spending more, but maybe we can't be spending more because nobody spends that much. What's that? The Red Sox and Dodgers spent more than us and they're romping through the playoffs. Got it. Understood. Well, that'll never be us. It could be us. We make, we spend the same amount of payroll in, in like payroll related to revenue. We spend the same amount of money that we did in 2005, but the percentage of revenue continues to go higher. So mm-hmm. the percentage of revenue spent continues to lessen. So that's why it's okay to question Hal Steinbrenner if you want to. Don't I would never it. say, I would never say something as asinine as he doesn't spend money, but it's fair to say he doesn't spend as much money as he could. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, it's a $200 million payroll. It's a lot of money, but guess what? <laughs> they make a lot of money. So that's, that's the game you play. You got to spend money to make money. You got to spend money to win championships. And in most scenarios, very the, the, the small market teams that go ahead and win championships are few and far between. 
and you got to hit a home run on all your draft picks and you got to make shrewd trades. And I know the Yankees are trying to, they're trying to put all of that together and Cashman does make good trades and they do, they have been drafting well, at least somewhat recently, but they had a bad streak of draft picks. They had a couple of trades blow up in their face and then they go silent on the free agent market outside of Garrett Cole. So yeah, there you can't, you can't keep playing this 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 balance game where you know you know what the problem is, you know the deficiencies of the team, you know they're not going to appear out of thin air. And the thing that upsets me about this year's trade deadline, I know it had nothing to do with well, it sort of had something to do with money, but the Yankees figured it out. They made the Rangers pay for all of Gallo and they made the Cubs pay for all of Rizzo. But you look at a team like the Atlanta Braves and the Yankees before the deadline had all the information in front of them that they needed. They had Greg Allen come up. They had Ryan Lamar come up. Contact heavy bats, guys that brought energy, guys that played reliable defense. That is all they needed. I'm not saying they needed a right fielder to replace Aaron Judge when when he missed time. I'm not saying they needed. I'm not saying they needed somebody to replace a core player. They simply just needed uh, non-blockbuster guys to get the job done, to bring in a different element of the game to give this team a different kind of boost. And it was right there. You saw it. You saw the differences that it made when they were putting the ball in play, when they were stealing bases, when they weren't making errors in the field as much. Um, and the Braves go out, they get Jock Peterson, they get Eddie Rosario. Um, they got uh, Richard Rodriguez to help out in the bullpen. They got Steven Vogt to eat up innings while Travis Darno was injured. Um, they got, uh, who else did they get? They got one other good person. Solaire, right. you mentioned yeah, Solaire. They, Solaire, yeah, Solaire, and all guys who were underachieving on bad teams, who were historically solid baseball players that would benefit from a change of scenery and benefit from being protected in the lineup. And instead, the Yankees were like, "No, we're just going to go get star players that aren't aren't entirely essential for what we need in this operation." They soured their relationship with Luke Voigt as a result. Joey Gallo had the worst two months of his life, and now nobody really wants him here. Um, <laughs> and it was just an unneeded acquisition because he doesn't make contact with his bat. We needed him to play left field; that was the position he was least experienced with. A lot of problems. Yankees could learn from the Braves because. The Braves were certainly treading water at that point, and they made marginal moves that they felt would fit the design of their team and and uh, fill in the gaps where they weren't as dynamic. And that's exactly what happened. And now they're leading the NLCS against the Dodgers. So figure it out, man. Is there some major Ewing theory potential with Ronald Acuna Jr.? <laughs> Is that worth asking? Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, the Braves might already have blown the NLCS, but it, yeah. it is it's a good point. Maybe they, you know, there's a world where they don't do that, uh, but they did. We're going to take a quick, quick break when we come back. Uh, the things we actually learned from the Cashman press conference. What's he hinting at? Welcome back to the Yankees Go Yard podcast. If the Yankees fire Brian Cashman, is there major Ewing theory potential there? <laughs> um, I think there's major, major Ewing theory potential everywhere. Uh, worth examining for sure. Um, Brian Cashman did speak quite frankly uh, before welcoming Aaron Boone to the podium for us to hear a bunch of uh, and uh, and you know it's all about the, the guys and the team. Uh, when Cashman was up there, he did hint at, at some things, none of which were shocking to us. I, you know, my my eyes didn't fall out of my head. Listening to Cashman pitch potential moves and and give us a, a little window into what he's thinking this offseason. A lot of people are saying that it sounded like Cashman speaking as a man who had free reign to spend wildly this offseason. I will believe it when I see it. 
But the bottom line is how Steinbrenner did go to Cashman and ask him to execute the Boone move. Do you think we should bring him back? Do you not? Cashman gave his endorsement. Is that because Cashman and Boone are inextricably tied and Cashman didn't want to see one of his lieutenants go down and admitted in the press conference that if they'd gotten rid of Boone, they would have been looking for Aaron Boone on the free agent market? Sure. Frustrating. Don't love to hear that. And obviously, some of Cashman's proclivity there has to do with Cashman knowing Boone is Cashman, Cashman is Boone. If Boone goes, then Cashman might be next, etc. But Hal Summer did go to Cashman. As for his recommendation, that doesn't sound like a lame duck to me. That does sound like someone who's going to be tasked with rebuilding this roster pretty much in full this offseason. So what did we learn? We learned shortstop is a priority. Glaber mm-hmm. Torres is not a shortstop. Brian Cashman said that. Glaber Torres would be better served at second base. Now, two-pronged on that for me. A, if you're trying to trade Glaber Torres, I don't think you admit at the postseason press conference that he will not be able to play shortstop moving forward for anyone. I think you say, for us, he's our second baseman, and that's how we're going into 2022. But you look at what he did at shortstop, and I think you guys overrated uh, the negative a little more than you should have, and you underrated the progress he made. Because he did say the same thing about Gary Sanchez. He said, you know, he's developed in a quite a fine defensive catcher or whatnot, which is closer to what you say if you're thinking about trading a person than if you're thinking about keeping them. So as far as I can tell, Glaber Torres is here. He will be playing second base. We're getting a shortstop. Are we getting a... There are three varieties of shortstop. There's Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, all of whom you are giving seven years of commitment to. Corey Seager might not be a shortstop for all those seven years. That makes him the most appealing to a lot of people who want to make room for Anthony Volpe. I don't know if you can say Volpe is good enough and enough of a sure thing that you simply must make your 2021 offseason moves with the interest of giving him the shortstop job in two years. But Seager... Probably not going to survive all seven years. Maybe not going to survive three years is kind of the move. If you're looking for a clutch lefty bat, range questionable, maybe more of a third baseman. Mm -hmm. There are those upper echelon guys. Then there are the lowest of the low tier dudes like Andrelton Simmons, which I find to be a complete mistake. If you're doing a stopgap, do not do a one-year stopgap. And then there is something in between, which honestly, I'm not sure what is in between. Marcus Simeon, who didn't play a lot of shortstop last year, is not going to command more than a three-year deal probably. But is he a shortstop in the first place? Are you eventually going to find yourself moving Glaber Torres back to short? Moving Gio Rochelle to short, Simeon to second, trading Glaber Torres? I don't know. Uh, I just don't know. There aren't a lot of mid-tier options. The mid-range guys really are Simeon and Seager because he's mid-range because you're going to move him after two years anyway. Um, But all things considered it couldn't be more obvious that they're shopping for a shortstop. And we just have to cross our fingers that it's not a Simmons type after they've struck out on all the big names or purposely taking their toes out of the water because they love their kids so much. They they really can't make a mistake here. Um, If they're not going to trade, not trading Torres is fine. If he's going to play second base, I think that kind of, that brings him back to a a sense of normalcy. I don't think we're going to see, uh, we're not going to see what we saw the last two years. Uh, at least I'm willing to bet that we're not going to. I think he's going to be more comfortable at full season at second base. His bat's going to start coming around. Do I think he's going to hit 38 homers? Probably not. I think we're good for 25. Um, so, and there's no need to trade him if they don't feel like it's all, if it's, if it truly all came crashing down because he's still under club control. He's still making a, a cost-effective salary for now the cost-conscious Yankees. And it allows them to move DJ, DJ LeMahieu around in the infield and, and use him to 
whatever they feel is worth his $15 million is 15 million a year salary. Because um, if his bat is regressing at this point, then they're going to have to justify that money by using him on the versatile end of uh, the, on the defensive side of the ball. So that'll be him playing a lot of first, some third, second when DJ, uh, when Glaber needs days off. Um, but yeah, and Drelton Simmons certainly cannot happen. Um, that makes this lineup worse. And I, that's not really up for debate. I actually view these shortstops in the, I think there's four buckets. I think you actually, you put Corey Seager in his own, in his own little Corey Seager and Simeon are kind of in the same bucket, even though they're going to command different money. Um, Seager, mm-hmm. like you said, he's not going to be a shortstop. I, I think I think he's got two years left there, and I I, I could yeah. be wrong. I could be wrong, and I um, get it. But it is a bit of a tough sell to be like, we need to fix the shortstop position. We are going to commit big money to someone everyone knows is not a shortstop. Yeah, I understand why, but it's just a hard sentence to say. Yeah, no, it is. I agree. But if there is a realistic scenario where he can shift over, and the organization is truly high on Volpe or uh, Peraza. Um, or even Oswaldo Cabrera, who people seem to be ignoring in the minors. I don't know why he dominated AAA. Um, then that's something that's a plan that you have. Hey, great. We have these guys coming up. We'll shift Seeger over to third. Then we have a shortstop. I don't know. That's complicated. But I is that my first choice? No. Do I have a first choice? I don't really know. I'm very confused this offseason. Is Trevor Story the answer? I don't know. Is Javier Baez? Probably not. Uh, is Marcus Simeon, like we said, he hasn't really played shortstop in two years. Yeah, I mean, he play, he's played, what, a combined 60 games at shortstop over the last two years. Is that a guy you want taking over shortstop in the meantime? We just had a guy who hadn't played shortstop at the major leagues on a consistent basis for two and a half years. So why are we going to do that? Why are we going to play that game again? Um, I mean, here's the absolute stupidest analysis of all time. It's I'm sounding the horn at the 23-minute mark of just, just, this is a dumb guy talking. This is like, and when I take off my analysis glasses, I end up with something like this. I just, Corey Seager is so calm and so collected. The red, all the Red Sox play angry. I just mm-hmm. feel like we never, and the Yankees never end up signing the guy where you can clearly see like a switch has been turned. Someone has been ignited. Seager is just the same thing every day, whether he hit three homers or he goes over four yeah, or three. That's why I like Correa. Like, that's why I think Correa is the answer. That was, that's why Correa is my guy. It's, it's what the Yankees are lacking. It's not that Seager isn't clutch. Yeah. Ugh. Like clutch is a fake thing and, and it's real occasionally. And he is clutch. Mm-hmm. Like if you think clutch is real, he's clutch. Yeah. And if you think clutch is fake, then okay, great. Um, but like, there's just, it's an attitude adjustment that the Yankees don't have. You see it come out of Aaron judge and John Carlos in once a week and a half. And you don't see it come out of a lot of other guys. And that's why we wanted Luke Voigt to get in gear instead of just being so shunned to the side. And that's why Correa feels like a better fit because he is a jolt and a turn of the ignition rather than Seager, who's like, I'm just going to do my job quietly. And that's wonderful. But it's, you know, it's a different kind of player that the Yankees don't really have. Yeah, I think Correa, that's been the problem that we talked about for how long with diversifying the personalities on this roster. It's it's dumb guy analysis for sure. It's and I'm not in the locker room, but it is just like you, you watch the Astros and you watch what we don't have and you watch Seager go about his business and Two times in two games, Seager has hit a two-run homer in the first as the second batter of a Dodgers playoff game, mm-hmm. and the Dodgers have gone on to spectacularly blow that lead. Yeah, I know it's it's, it's just it's weird. Crazy. It's a vibe. Yeah. It's a vibe thing. It's like shouldn't that be a get on my bat again? Dumb guy analysis. I completely understand, but shouldn't game-changing series-turning two-run home runs be a get on my back and follow me moment? And twice the Dodgers have recovered, have gotten those home runs, and been like, let's lose. <laughs> 
Like, it's just weird. It is weird. And look, we'll we'll keep talking about the Red Sox, complimenting the Red Sox. The Red Sox have, say what you want, traded Mookie Betts, great. Guess what? They went out and they got guys who had chips on their shoulders and had personalities that, that, that really put them over the edge and allowed them to perform in these big game situations. Kike Hernandez, why did he leave the Dodgers? He wanted more playing time. He wanted yes. a starting role. He was ready to start playing more game, and it was it was hard for the Dodgers to incorporate into him into their plan because of the depth that they had. And the Red Sox were like, "Great, we'll take a chance on a guy who wants to play, who who wants." Cora to be- knows him from yeah. Team PR. Yeah. yeah, and then you look at uh, you look at a guy. I know Chris Sale obviously is is was acquired a long time ago, but you know, that's, that's an ace that that's a great personality to have at the top of your rotation. Who's yelling, who I know it's annoying to me. I hate it. Um, But he's, he clearly moves the needle for that team in, in that motivation regard. You look at Alex Cora, very outspoken guy supports his players. Also, isn't afraid to be honest and candid. He's the, the opposite of Aaron Boone. I know we're, I know we're mostly talking about players right now, but that also, that also goes hand in hand with influencing the culture and whatnot. So, um, I, I think I, I I do think it's valid. And I think the big problem, a big problem with the Yankees is they're just looking at numbers. Great. Who hits home runs? Who gets on base? Who has a high spin rate? OK, bring them in. Cool. And then you have a roster of robots. I love Aaron Judge, but like Aaron Judge didn't start saying like cool stuff until like the final week of the season. And it's like, OK, where was this when we were 41 and 41 and needed something? Where, where also keeps doing it at the wrong time. Why yeah. is your cool stuff playing New York, New York outside the Red Sox locker room? <laughs> and then the Red Sox are like, hey, isn't this series one one? Like, didn't we win 108 games? Shouldn't we destroy these people on their home turf? And then they told Luis Severino the wrong start time and it all went downhill from there. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> judges timing is never correct. Yeah. And then like I'm not you look at Glaber Torres, who is like afraid to deal with criticism he he gets offended uh dj lemay offers nothing Corey kluber was another one who is famously known as the robot um luke voigt was the only outspoken person brett gardner hasn't hasn't really said much ever gary sanchez you, you know what the deal is there uh gio rochelle is like a positive reinforcement type dude they don't have any they don't have any like bulldog type people who are like, dude, I'm I'm coming out here and I'm going to destroy you today because that's that's my goal. And that's what I want to do. Um, and that's Correa's mentality. He goes out every he wants the clutch hit. He wants to show you up and he's happy with he's look at Eduardo Rodriguez uh, mimicked his show off from uh, from game one or whatever it mm-hmm. was. And he was like, great. Let's get this going, dude. This is competition. Let's show each other up. Let's have a good time. And let's the stakes are high. Let's 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 do this. Like, I feel like the Yankees don't have people like that. And that's what they need. I don't think it's dumb. Really don't. And it took a while. It took a while. But Correa scored the game winning run yesterday. Like Mm -hmm. it it took until the eighth inning for Jose Altuve to engage. But, you know, when it came to a lead off the ninth inning, game tied starter ace coming in Correa up. Rockets what almost was a home run to, to deep right field in the bullpen. Uh, Renfro should have kicked it probably again. But yeah, Correa <laughs> scores a winning run, starts the rally. Um, it took a full day. Um, but yeah, it, for some reason, Alex Cora now uh, told Eduardo Rodriguez to apologize. That's not what we do here. Alex Cora told the Yankees to suck on it three years ago. Uh, I don't really know. Maybe he really has grown up 
after uh you know the suspension i don't know <laughs> the only other the only other prudent thing to really touch on here is uh, oh this is brief gary sanchez um look they're, they're praising his defense I, I can't guarantee he's going to be here. They obviously didn't guarantee him the starting job. They're going to look on the market for other options. They're not ruling out that they are going to make upgrades. But again, when that's what you say, and you say Gary improved on defense, Gary's one of the best offensive catchers in baseball, which is true. You look at who's available, and it's no one. Mm-hmm. Tucker Barnhart's option might get declined by the Reds. In that case, we could sign someone who is a 75 WRC plus guy who is Austin Romine on offense. That's who you want as your starter. If the Yankees make monumental upgrades everywhere else, sure. But I'm definitely not waving my flag around and leaping off the roof because of Tucker Barnhart's extremely below league average offense. Jan Gomes... He's a solid backup. I'm a little scared of him if he's at the plate, but Jan Gomes is the Gary Sanchez solution. Martin Maldonado, there's nobody on the market. They should have signed Real Muto last year. Huge whiff. But if you're trying to upgrade Gary Sanchez this offseason, you're not going to extend Gary. This is your last year with Gary. He is a 25 home run offensive catcher who was above league average for most of the year before he dipped down. I'm as frustrated with him as anybody, but... Tucker Barnhart, I'm on the I'm on the roof cheering for Tucker Barnhart. He's no. really below average at the plate. That's just your priorities are totally misaligned unless you're packing the lineup with Matt Olson and Starling Marte and Corey Seager. Then yeah, I can save the Gary Sanchez money and live with Tucker Barnhart, but it's only going to be like two million dollars for someone yeah. who can't hit at all. So yeah. I don't know. Don't come crying to me when Tucker Barnhart's hitting 140 with two home runs on June 2nd. Yeah, I and this is a a part of a greater problem. And it's the Yankees just not pulling plug on experiments that don't entirely work. And they're afraid that their other players are going to succeed elsewhere. Like, why are they in this Gary Sanchez situation? Because they probably didn't look ahead to the 2021 offseason to realize zero catchers would be available. Um, Maybe they had a plan in their head. If the pandemic doesn't happen that, hey, we're going to sign Real Muto or somebody else after 2020 um, if Gary doesn't come along. Um, But they didn't do that because they clearly needed to they they had a a goal to save money and stay under the luxury tax. So that certainly wasn't in the plans. But this is not the time to part with Gary Sanchez unless, like you said, you're going to stack the lineup and just go for a defensive, a defensive minded catcher. And it's a shitty situation because. Gary Sanchez, technically the starting catcher, yes, but not starting in the biggest games of the year. Nowhere to yep. be found last year's ALDS. Nowhere to be found in this year's wildcard game, and that's because Garrett Cole doesn't like pitching to him. I don't care what anybody says. That is what it is. There is no other reason for it. Because if the Yankees were like, hey, Gary needs to catch you, um, he's important to the to the offense and needs to be playing in big games, then it wouldn't be a discussion. Garrett Cole clearly has a problem pitching to Gary Sanchez for whatever reason it is. Kyle Higashioka is starting in these big games. I'm not saying Higashioka is bad, but it's not the guy you want starting in sometimes do or die playoff games. Um, And it's the Yankees waiting around. Like I thought after I thought after 2019, the writing was on the wall for Gary. The defense was bad. Sure. He hit a lot of home runs, batted under 200. Is that what you want? Is you just want guys who you want more guys who hit home runs? Like that's all you're telling me with that philosophy. So, um, not really encouraging. But then again, here we are. There's no viable options beyond him. 
And if you're going to justify it to yourself by saying he improved defensively, whatever helps you sleep at night, I guess, man, because he had his lowest caught stealing rate in however long he still had a number of egregious errors. I know that um, he had a, he had his fielding percentage went up, but uh, the missed pop-ups behind the plate, he still had a number of crazy pass balls in clutch situations stuff that you look at his baseball reference page, you're like, Oh, only six pass balls this year. Really not bad. Oh, only like four hours this year. That's not bad. Yeah. It goes deeper than that. It, it, the eye test once again is a thing folks. Um, mm-hmm. You could look at defensive run saved. It's only like minus two, which isn't egregious, but it's also just not good. It's also just not that good. Um, the, the, the minus two there or whatever it is, it's two or four is like really good for Gary Sanchez. And that's still, that's still not, it's not acceptable for someone who literally needs to save you runs because the fate is in the catcher's hands when there's runners on base and they have to field the 99 mile an hour fastball in the dirt. Um, but Hey, this is the situation the Yankees are in. Gary Sanchez is probably back next year. This will be, this will be the last year of Gary Sanchez, whether, whether, uh, whether he performs or not, because I don't think the Yankees, if he has a blow up season this year and dominates, the Yankees are not giving him a long-term contract. That is not the guy you're going to, that's not the guy you're going to pay for the long haul. Um, but yeah, I think that they, they've made their bet in this situation by just continuing to wait. Oh, this is the best off- offensive catcher in baseball. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay. When's it going to happen? It's not happening. So here uh, we are, yeah. everybody else. You're not going to want anybody else on this, uh, on this, in this free agency. I don't know if they make a trade. I don't know who you trade for, but I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's the type of heavy lifting that they're going to be willing to do this off season. Unfortunately, I've just learned the Yankees have signed Gary Sanchez to a three-year contract with a fourth-year option. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so much for that. Uh, that is it for this Wednesday edition of the Yanks Yard Podcast. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Drop us a five-star review along with the mailbag question. We'll be more than happy to answer it. Only about three minutes of Red Sox talk. You hear that, Mom? Hear that, folks? We calm down. We talk Yankee news. That's what's going on. Yankees gave us some news, so we did it. Until next time, I'm Adam Weinrib. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weinrib. And I'm Thomas Carinante. You can find me at Tommy's underscore takes. You can find us at yanksgoyard.com. We got all the offseason content there for you. Feel free to go talk to us on the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week-ish, folks. We'll talk to you again on Friday, uh, and hopefully there's not any more uh, unsettling contract extension news by then. Yeah, we've got no more managers to extend, so we can't do it again. Uh, Yeah, watch the playoffs. See you Friday. Progressive presents Forced Metaphors about bundling your home auto and other vehicles. In hockey, it's the goalie's job to protect the net. And in life, your net is your home and auto, but also your boat, motorcycle, RV, or ATV. And your goalie is the -the round-the-clock protection offered by Progressive Insurance. Well, and also the savings you get when you bundle. So in this metaphor, you have two goalies, which is okay because, you know, it's just a metaphor. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.